it was good to be away, good to spend some time with some friends, so thank you for that. Uh, we're continuing on as we look this one more week at the Ark of the Covenant, and I want to start off with a question. Has losing a healthy respect or fear for something or someone gotten you in a lot of trouble? Fear of it, healthy fear of it, respect for it, understanding of it, maybe a person, maybe a thing, maybe a tool or whatever, because often familiarity will cause us to become careless with something or someone we should be careful with. And uh, this time of year, uh, sometimes we hear these tragedy stories or these familiar stories showing up when someone um, has trouble with one of these. Drives directly into a tree. Police are surrounding him, and I think that's all she wrote. The police are surrounding him, and that's all she wrote. But uh, I can remember the first time, or one of the times, I was using my brother-in-law's uh, snowmobile. Uh, and I realized it was time to turn in my keys because I was getting more careless and more careless with it because it wasn't fun anymore. I was getting bored with it, so I was coming closer to the trees. And I remember this one time I went over this jump, and I could feel the thing rock a little bit. I was probably only an inch off the ground, but it felt like I was two miles off the ground. And I came back, and I said, I am done riding this because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill myself or kill somebody else. You see, often you and I, when it comes to something that we're familiar with, we're comfortable with, very quickly become negligent with it. And we stop paying attention to whatever that may be. And for uh, the Israelites, a lot of that was when it came to um, the Ark of the Covenant. They become careless with it, and they get into all kinds of trouble. And uh, you and I can become that way. And uh, sometimes we become familiar with a person and we think of them like in a different light. And then when we get used to them, it's no big deal any longer. And that reminds me of this little situation. Black cheese, no sweetener. You could have that, but like, why not sweeten your life up a little bit? I mean, you could choose to have no sweetness in your life or some joy. What would you like, ma'am? Joy or misery? Joy's good. You do want joy. Is that joy in the form of splendor or joy in the form of equal? Just life, no You're insisting on darkness. Yes, please. Trying to help you live your best life. What's the yeah. Oh, I know you, Ben Affleck, brother. Medium hot black. Uh, we're out of uh, coffee. Oh, you're out of coffee. Yeah, we get no coffee and no donuts. What do you got? Uh, water. And the bagels. Do I look familiar? Yeah. Oh. Me, Is I'm this like, what you do when you say you want to work all day? I, I gotta go, guys. Grab me a glaze. <laughs> I don't know about you, but uh, you know you would want to go to that Dunkin' Donuts at least once, twice. But how many times? Of course, I would never go to the Dunkin' Donuts. But how many times would you have to go before that became, ah, eh, Ben Affleck? You know, is at the window. You know, the first time you might bring some friends, and would it be the tenth time? 
no big deal anymore. The 20th time. Sometime, eventually, you would be like, that is no big deal. You see, familiarity can sometimes breed just a carelessness, just a boring, just a just apathetic, and we, we, just, we just aren't conscious of it anymore. We're, we're used to it. We're comfortable with it. And the Israelites, and we're going to see the Philistines, had the same kind of situation. Sometimes this happens with a tool. Uh, I, they keep tools away from me, as you know, so I never get to experience this. But I'm told that, for example, you know, you can get careless with, let's say, a chainsaw or a drill because you get so used to it that uh, you're just comfortable with it and you don't pay attention. And it just reminded me of these guys with a forklift. guy, huh? You know, you can get careless with stuff. The same thing could happen with those of us who say we're a Christ follower, that we follow God, we're trying to do that, is once the novelty, once we get used to stuff, we can become complacent and we can become careless with our walk with God. And we need to be aware of it. We all of a sudden start using him like a luck charm rather than uh, almighty God who's a part of our lives. Uh, For those of us who are Christ followers and say we try to follow the scriptures, the Bible, we can become careless with God's word. I remember the first couple notes I got from Cindy, even today when I get notes from Cindy and she's going away, she makes a little sticker note and puts it somewhere and I in my medicine cabinet right now I've got like six or seven up there and one of them says my favorite boy and all these just little nice things and I like reading them but when it comes to God's word sometimes I've gotten a little bit blase you know I I have access to it anytime and and uh, you know I can get to it and there's a danger of that we become comfortable with something and we become careless with whatever it is. Some of us remember that new item, that new car, and we didn't want anybody around it. And, you know, we're worried about that, that first scratch, and, and we're just very nervous. And later on, it well, for me, it always matters. But later on, some of you, you know, it just doesn't matter anymore. You don't matter about the way it's inside because it's, it's just you're used to it. It's no big deal any longer. We can become that way with God's word as we're looking at a situation that took place almost 3,000 years ago. Some of us can go, oh, a different world, but not really a different world. We started looking at this. We looked at Romans 15:4. This says, whatever was written beforehand is meant to instruct us how to live. The scriptures impart to us encouragement and inspiration so that we can live in hope and endure all things. And I have to be honest with you, sometimes I'm enduring something, something's heavy on my heart, but my first inclination isn't to run home and crack my Bible, open my Bible on my uh, app, you 
version and start reading it, I kind of look at other things, or I might eventually get to it. When I first started discovering what scriptures could mean for myself, even though I grew up going to church, there was this hunger, there was this anticipation. Where, where am I going to go? I want to get into it because I want to I want to see what he has to say to me. And uh, as time goes on, it's like, oh, you know, I mean, most of us, when it comes to the scriptures, have a bunch of Bibles in our house. And that isn't, it's not to make you feel guilty, but it's just to help us to see how we become careless with something originally we were so careful with. When I think about the things that we're carrying heavy in our life, if a verse in three seconds doesn't like take a care of my emotional needs, I kind of discard it. But we look at First Timothy two, Second um, Timothy three seventeen. We see through the Word we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. And I don't know about you, but isn't your first reaction when you go, "Wow, I feel this task coming on. I feel God's in, ordained me to carry this heavy load or this good thing to happen." Do we first run to it? Are we so familiar with God's Word we're kind of careless? with it as we got into first samuel as we got in a few chapters we saw this whole situation unfold where um uh, the ark of the covenant is captured by the philistines and we read this verse about the idea that the chest of god is gone the ark of the covenant uh, father-in-law dead husband dead she named her little boy who was born ichabod god's glory is gone saying god glory is exiled from israel since the chest of God was taken. And glory mean re- means recognizing God's work in the mix. So when you glorify God, you're recognizing God is at work. And you can glorify God in little things when you see it or big things when you recognize that God is at work. And uh, this, this woman, uh, Eli's daughter-in-law, uh, says God's glory has gone. And really, if we were to take another look at uh, chapters 4 and around there, we would see that, in a sense, God's glory had been gone before the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolized God's presence was gone. And sometimes in our own life, because we become so comfortable, uh, it's not that God leaves us, but His aware- our awareness of his presence is almost like God's glory is gone. We become blasé about it. Uh, God is doing things around us, and we don't even see what God is doing it's as if god's glory is gone so we're going to read through um first samuel chapter six verses one through actually seven and if you want to follow along you can use that uh, uh, rack bible with you if you don't have one of those you can take one as a gift and send it to community church also uh, you versions available it's a free app i love the fact again you can take that wherever your phone is at so we're going to walk through this and we're going to see the responses of um, the Philistines, uh, of religious people, and uh, God's chosen people and how they respond to this. So verse 1, when the ark of the Lord had been in the Philistine territory seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners and said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord? 
tell us how we should send it back to its place. Remember, God is there in that presence. As he's represented in that ark, and bad things are happening. They have that uh, uh, temple with Dagon in it, and uh, it falls over. And then the next night it falls over, and his hands and feet and head are broken off, and this is all symbolic, this happening, uh, that uh, God is there, and he's laying himself down in God's presence. And so they want to get rid of this thing. Uh, the, the novelty of having, you know, God's uh, Ark of the Covenant is worn off. Um, they believe in multiple gods. We'll talk about this. And so they just think they beat the God of Israel. And now they want to, you know, have multiple gods. And this is just one of them. But they're starting to get nervous about it. Other verses say his hand was heavy upon the Philistines. And they're recognizing that. And they want him gone. They answered, if you return the ark of the God of Israel, do not send it back to him without a gift. By all means, send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed, and then you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. So they think, hey, you know, um, this God's upset with us. Uh, we need to uh, do something about it. Uh, so the religious experts, the spiritual people in Philistine and Philistine uh, decide that they're going to Send it back, but they need to send it not back empty-handed to appease this God that has caused so much problems for them. Then we read on, the Philistines asked, what guilt offering should we send to him? They replied, five gold tumors, kind of weird, and five gold rats. If you remember, the people were getting tumors, and they were having a rat problem. According to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers, make models of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and give God, give glory to Israel's God, perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. Now, um, you know, it's interesting. You go, what are these tumors? It's a little bit gross, but if you go to the King James, you find out what they're talking about here. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city and was very great in very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had hemorrhoids, which is another word for hemorrhoids, in their secret parts. So, interesting. This is getting even really gross, maybe too gross for Sunday morning, but that's what those, those, those tumors are. I don't even want to think how they made them. But anyway, so we move on. Why do you harden your heart as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh did? So they, they know the story. It's been 400 years or so. Uh, they, they, they know what's gone on when Israel's God dealt harshly with them and did they not send the Israelites out so they could go on their way. So these Philistines are God aware, one of the other gods. They understand this to some degree. They understand some of the story of the Israelites. So again, they're trying to get rid of this God's presence whose hand is heavy upon them. Now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take the calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart, and in its chest beside it, put the gold object you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way, but keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory towards Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us, but it happened to us by chance. So they're trying to figure out still what's going on here. And this is the plan. 
get some cows, and I don't know all the terminology for this because I'm not a, a, a herdsman, a herdsperson, but get these cows that have just had baby cows, right? That's what they are. And uh, get them, and they've never been yoked. They've never pulled a cart before. Put two of them side by side. They're going to want to feed their baby cows because, you know, they get full. And, but send them towards that way. See what happens because, in theory, they shouldn't pull the cart straight. They should do all this stuff. And they probably should go back to their calves to feed them. So let's see if this is really happening. If all that happens, then this really is God's hand on us. So they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart and along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumor. And then the cows went straight up towards Beth Shemesh, keeping on the road and lowing all the way. They did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So you can just imagine it, these, these rulers and probably a whole entourage is like following these two cows, uh, you know, to see what happens. And they go straight to where they're supposed to go. And they don't go back to their calves. They go straight there. And so they realize that God is in this and that uh, this has been because of him, all the things that have come upon them. Now, the people of Beth Shemesh were harvesting their wheat in the valley, and when they looked up and saw the ark, they rejoiced at the sight. Remember, because God's glory in their mind has gone, and now God's glory must be coming back. The cart came to the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh, and they stopped beside a large rock. Then the people chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. They're celebrating the return of God's presence. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord together with a chest containing the gold objects and placed them on the large rock. On that day, the people of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices to the Lord. The five rulers of the Philistines saw all this and then returned that same day to Ekron. There are gold... These are the gold tumors and the Philistines sent as a guilt offering to the Lord. And then it goes through all of these and then talks about the large rock on which the Levi set the ark of the Lord is a witness to this day in the field of Joshua Beth Shemesh. But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. These are, in theory, God's people. These are the Israelites putting 70 of them to death because they looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow that the Lord had dealt them. And the people of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God? To whom will the ark, to whom will the ark go up from here? Then sent a messenger to the people of Kareth, Jerem, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your town. Everybody does not want this ark. Even the Israelites don't want it. So the men of Keresh Jerem came and took up the Ark of the Lord, and they brought it to Abinadam's house on the hill consecrated to Eleazar, his sons, to guard the Ark of the Lord. The Ark remained at Keresh Jerem a long time, 20 years in all, then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So think, this is, this is unbelievable. You, you have the Philistines who are a, spiritual people kind of in tune with gods and their kind of thing. And then you have the Israelites 
who are worshiping the one true God, and you have all this tension going on, and what are they going to do with this ark? And one of the things we need to always remember when we start to talk about these stories and they seem really heavy and then we transmit them to today and life seems very heavy and we're trying to figure things out and uh, trying to figure out where the world is going. The first thing we need to remember is that the world is in God's hands. So the Israelites, you know, they were overcome with God has left. And then the Philistines were overcome with God has arrived. And uh, it was just a, it was a heavy time, and it seemed like God had lost the battle. God wasn't that strong, and, and we find out that everything is still in God's hands, and we don't have to worry about it. We have to be aware, but we don't need to be anxious. There's a difference between those two concepts. You and I need to be aware of the world. That's why sometimes we will take some time and pray about what's going on in our greater world. But we don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be so nervous. We don't need to be at a place where we're losing sleep. And that's true with our little world. Uh, we need to be aware of what's going on. We need to pay attention, not stick our head in the sand. But uh, we don't need to be anxious uh, in a panic because the world is in God's hands. He's doing his thing. And we see in this story that even though it looked like a God had lost, he was still doing his thing. Also, we need to realize that the good old days weren't always that good. I'm sure they look to the past. Uh, sometimes we look to the past. We look at all that's going on in our world, and we say, oh, wow, wasn't it better in the, the 50s or the 40s or when this wasn't happening, or even in the 80s or 90s were better than today. And we need to realize that not always is the good old days that great. We could probably send a mic around, and you could start thinking about the good old days, and you'd see that those good old days had problems of their own. You could teleport someone who didn't know the future from 20 years ago they would go whoa is me we're not going to make it this is happening that is happening and they they would seem like they're just at the end of themselves so the good old days weren't always so good and then through all of this through 3,000 years ago even beyond that to today into the future the human heart hasn't changed we, we, you know, may have more technology, we may be able to do more amazing things, but it's all controlled by this human heart. And sad to say, our human hearts have not changed. We're still bent to expressing self-centeredness in little ways and in huge ways. We see the things going on in Europe and Ukraine, and, and we see selfishness in huge ways. And then we see things that we do in our own life, the way we treat some of the people in our lives, and we say, I was kind of selfish with that. See, the human heart has not changed. That's why you and I need Christ in our lives to govern our hearts. In Jeremiah, we read this, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And at first glance, we read that and go, that's not true. I mean, but then when you start to downshift and think about your heart, think about my heart, I see it in little kids. You, you don't have to, like, train them. We've talked about this before. The heart is deceitful above all things and can leave us going, oh. But then the next verse is fantastic. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. Kind of like a little ooh. So God treats me as my heart really is, even when I'm pretending another way. Uh, he, I, you know, he, he gets it. I'm not fooling him. 
But if you really want to get through and cut through that, that heart and really know your motives, you need to lean in to God and let him examine your heart. You need to take time with him and let him help you clarify and speak into your life so you can really see where your heart is at and how you are functioning. So again, as we look at these two groups of people in this story from 3,000 years ago, uh, we can see some similarities. First of all, we see spirituality in our world today, and that kind of represents the Philistines kind of represent that. We live in a country that uh, people would say they're very spiritual. Uh, the percentages, even, even people that would say they don't believe in God would say they're spiritual. They, they have this feel for that. And the Philistines were very spiritual. They were aware of these things. And we can see that the way they function uh, with trying to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant. They believe there is a God. They don't believe he's the one God. There's many gods. But they try to work through this. They, they understand there needs to be some kind of guilt offering. They realize they've done some things wrong, and they're trying to make some things right. They're doing it in their own, in their own power, under their own understanding. And, uh, you know, they, they, they see some things happen, and so they're just aware of that. And that really is today. We, people, you know, hybrids this and that and, and add a little of this and, you know, all this kind of thing when it comes to spirituality in, in our world. So there is, there's really this, this consciousness of spirituality. There's this awareness, uh, maybe even more than there has been before. They say that the new generation coming up is more aware and more hunger hungry for spiritual things than, than ever before. They articulate that. They, they write that in surveys. And that means that we as Christ followers need to step up our game in a sense and be able to point to Christ and to be able to, to have them have something to offer that uh, is, is actually has substance and has, has credibility. So there's, a, there's this consciousness of this. Again, uh, the Philistines were aware of Pharaoh. They're aware of the Israelites getting out. So they're aware of all that. And so they're aware of these things, and we can see that in our own world. Um, we also see in, in Romans, we read, but the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. See it in creation. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as, so, as, what their eyes as such can't see, eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of his divine being. So nobody has a good excuse. And so it's it's out there. God just, the creation, if we went to Psalm 19, creation sings of God's presence. And so we're without excuse. So there's this consciousness. And uh, the Philistines saw it, and in our world, uh, we see it. And we're, we're aware of that. Also, there is this approach to spirituality. Um, it's very practical. It's It's does it work for me? How does it work in my life? And we would call that uh, pragmatism. If it works, do it. So if something works for you, everybody's fine with that. Do what works for you. And it's kind of this idea. So also backshifting a little bit, we need to think if we're following Christ, we don't want to be fake about this, but it ought to be working in our life for us to, to point to it. But this idea that it needs to work in our lives. Um, if it's effective, it must be good and right. And so it's funny, they, this idea of practice and, uh, starts in a reverse order. If it's, if it's working, then it's good. As Christ followers, we need to look at, is it good, and then see how to wisely make it work in our lives. Um, 
you know, everybody's interested in having a, like a good life. Everybody's interested in having a healthy marriage, a good job, success, all these kinds of things. So if, if faith is helping you do that, it works. And that's really what the Philistines were doing. They thought their God, Dagon, had beat the Israelites, so it was working. And they just kind of went through this thing. They consulted the experts, and there needed to be this guilt offering, and they put it all together. And really, we can see that in our own lives. Sometimes we can see that even for us who would say we're Christ followers. Uh, there can be principles and con concepts in Scripture that at the first out of the gate don't seem to work in our lives, and then we back off from them. But if it works, then they have more credibility in our lives, and this is getting everything out of order. Also, there's this idea, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, there's a superstition to spirituality. You know, sometimes we got to do this for God to smile on us, if you will. And this was definitely the uh, approach that um, uh, the Philistines took. If, if, if we do this, then God will be pleased with us, and then this happy thing will happen. And sometimes you and I can get mixed up in that, even as Christians. Uh, you know, I said this two weeks ago, you know, it's going to church. We say, man, I, you know, things are happening negatively in my life. Oh, I need to go back to church for a few weeks. You go back to church for a couple weeks, click it off your list, and things start to go good. And that's, that's what's that about? That, that's superstition. Uh, you know, just reading your Bible to check it off the list, just doing this. You know, I better do this so this will happen. That's really that's like rubbing a rabbit's foot. And so uh, the Philistines were definitely like this, and we can fall into it also. And uh, if you want to check that out, uh, the message was uh, there. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, even as Christians, even as God followers, uh, sometimes we do something and it has some effectiveness, and then we hold on to it even when its time is gone. Uh, you can look at uh, Numbers uh, 21, 8 and 9. You'll see it was a time where Moses and this bronze snake and all the people were to look at the bronze snake. And if they looked at the bronze snake, they would be saved, they'd be healed. And uh, so they did that, and you kind of don't hear about that. But then way in the future, you know, five, six hundred years later, it's funny, in Second Act, in Second Kings 18.4, we see this still snake is still kicking around. And Hezekiah, he, he finds it. And he breaks it into pieces, the bronze snake Moses had made. Uh, for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. So it's just kind of a superstitious thing. These, these folks had this, this symbol that worked four or 500 years earlier, and they still had it around. And Hezekiah had to get rid of it because they were kind of worshiping the, the bronze serpent rather than God. And you and I can take things where God has done certain things in our life. And we can put them up on a pedestal and we can hold on to them more than hold on to God himself. And God wants us to break those things up. He doesn't want us to be, spirit, uh, be superstitious about our faith. We do this and then God will do this kind of idea. Also, we see in the Philistines and we see it today, this pluralism, this diversity, the spirituality, whatever works, works. Um, all kinds of options. We, we see people combining things. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but I also do a little, uh, you know, Buddhism on the side and all, all these kinds of things uh, going on. And we see that with the Philistines. They were more than delighted to have more than one God. Add another God to their repertoire to what they were doing. But as we've seen all along the way, that is not the case. And it may seem very arrogant for us as Christ follows to say this, but Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
and this idea that Jesus is the only way. And we'll be talking more about that as we lean into, move into Easter. We also see Moses, one of the Ten Commandments, you must not have any other God but me. Not one God and some little gods, one God. A couple weeks ago, we talked about idolatry and how you and I may not have like a figurine God, but we can make things God in our life by putting something else first. And, and we, even as Christians, sometimes can practice a little bit of diversity and pluralism in our faith, even though we would never say that out loud. We need to remember that someday every knee is going to bow. It's, that's the way it's going to be. Every knee is going to take, everyone's going to take a knee to the presence of Christ because he is the only way. And we need to understand that. And we will take a knee, whether we do it voluntarily on this side of eternity or non-voluntarily. We will not be able to stand in God's presence. So you've got the Philistines, a spiritual people getting some things, some things totally wrong, um, you know, just a mishmash of everything. And then you have the Israelites, and we sense that's Christianity in our churches today. And you can kind of see how they are functioning. First of all, we would say two things about that. We would say we sincerely are interested in God. That's why you're here. That's why you may read your Bibles throughout the week. Hopefully you're doing it on a regular basis. But you're interested in God. And the Israelites were interested in God, and uh, they were all into following him. And um, they, 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 were, they were, again, interested, engaged. But there was one thing that they really, really missed. And this is the thing that we can miss today, is they really were not sincerely aware of God's holiness. That is something that we kind of don't emphasize enough, that it's God Almighty. He, he is God. He's not just our buddy, our pal, our, our, our friend. We talked about this, you know, it's not just what a friend we have in Jesus. That sounds great. But he's God almighty. He's holy. He's righteous. And his righteousness demands that. That's why we see this crazy thing happen. When the Israelites bring back, or when God brings back the Ark of the Covenant, and they're trying to figure out what to do, they take the cart, they break it up, and they do this sacrifice. And at first glance, that's like, that's great. They did this. But if you start to unpack it, you realize, first of all, they weren't supposed to sacrifice um, mothering cows. It was supposed to be bulls. They were supposed to do it a completely different way. So they didn't even do it the way they were supposed to. You have the, some Levites around. They knew better, and, and they, just, they just don't do that. And then, then they look, in the, um, look at the Ark of the Covenant, and we don't really know what that is like. Did they just look at it with contempt? Did they look at it with familiarity? But 70 of them die. We go, that is so harsh. They were, they were trying to do things right, but they were careless. And today, sometimes, because we think of God's grace and God's mercy, we forget that God is holy. And, and, and there's no other way to respond to that with worship. You know, there's a couple stories even in the New Testament. You say, well, that's kind of Old Testament, the way God does things. But we see it also in, in the New Testament. We see that... Um, that God is holy. We don't see, see him striking out a lot of times. We go, ooh, that sounds so not nice, but, but he does that. 
you could look at the story of Act, in Acts 5, 10 through 11. Maybe you're familiar with Ananias and Sapphira. They were a couple. Things were going great in the church, and uh, the people were selling portions of land and giving it to uh, the church leaders so that they could use it to further the good news and all of this stuff, help people out. And uh, this one couple says, yeah, we'll do that. We'll sell some land, and uh, we'll give the money. And they, they do that, and that's wonderful and everything, but they're dishonest with the amount of money that they said they gave. And uh, you go, well, that's, you know, that's, that's, what's that? No, they were dishonest. They were lying to the spirit. And you see, you can look at it at your own. You, they both lose their lives. I believe the last uh, verse there, verse 11, says, By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of this, these things had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. And maybe that's one of our greatest errors as Christ followers today. We think that God is someone to be trifled with. We don't like the God of holiness and judgment. We don't like the God that says, you're going to take a new. We want a God that's just a friend. And uh, we trifle with him. And we see this in the Israelites. They were not approaching God with the right respect, fear, and so fear. You, you ought to tremble. I mean, have you ever met, uh, every once in a while, have you ever met a celebrity? And uh, sometimes they make you nervous. I mean, they're, they're just people, but you get nervous. I remember meeting somebe and uh, I can't remember who it was, but I do remember I was nervous. I almost like couldn't, you know, like couldn't talk, you know, I, 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 you know. What is that? That's just another human being. God is not someone to be trifled with. We read through this when we celebrate communion and we kind of scoot over it. But we read this uh, when um, Paul is talking to the, the church at Corinth how to celebrate communion. And again, communion is symbolic. He says, for continually eating and drinking with a wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself. By not recognizing the body, by not recognizing what God has done. This insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. Whoa. Whoa. The holiness of God. God is not someone to be trifled with. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's kind. He's forgiven our sins. His son died on the cross for our sins, rose again. He's not someone who should be trifled with. We could take time and look at Isaiah. I challenge you to do this on your own. Isaiah 6, 3 through 8. And we see Isaiah coming into the presence of God. And he is just overcome. He's hearing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And everything is shaking, and it's just awesome, and, and, and he is scared to death. And then an angel comes out, a seraphim, and puts a hot coal on his lip. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I, I'm sinful, and I'm in the presence of holy, almighty God. And God takes care of him. 
And then what is his response after he goes through that process of cleansing, after he experiences God, is brought to his knees, trembling, and then God says, who should I send? And Isaiah says, send me. You come into God's holiness. You realize you're not trifling with God. You realize that you're all in, and he is your all, and you serve him. You follow him. You do as he calls you to do. I love how uh, Romans 12.1 can kind of give us a little bit of instructions about how to live out this kind of response to him. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and working around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you could do. Embracing his forgiveness, embracing his grace, but you offer him your whole life. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. That is how you and I live out or live before a holy God and how we move towards him with our life. We offer him all. We say, holy, holy, holy. We don't, we don't, we don't go, hey, buddy. I had a friend who used to joke, got in big trouble for doing this. She was at Bible college and came home for Thanksgiving, and her parents said, wow, we got this Bible college student. Let's have her give the great Thanksgiving grace, you know, give grace for Thanksgiving dinner. And she had come from Bible college. She had thought she would be funny, and she actually said, hey, bub, thanks for the grub. Amen. There was no one laughing at that table, especially mom and dad or grandparents. By the way, it wasn't me. But... Um, Holy, holy, holy. And that really should be expressed. If you're a Christ, if you're not a Christ follower, this 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 good to know how Christians should behave and act. But this isn't for you. As a Christ follower, this is the way we're to live. It translates to holy, holy, holy. We offer ourselves, imperfect as we may be, to God completely with no reservations, with no pockets that we say, this, I give you all this except for this door is closed, God, and I'm keeping that. We can't do that to a holy God. A God who's just our buddy? Maybe. But a God who, is, who loves us but also is holy, we say holy, 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 and then it translates into you are, I'm giving myself wholly. Let's pray together. Father, I hate it when I just rush into prayer, forgetting that even in this moment as we pray together, these words are being ushered into your presence. Where seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy. And sometimes we are just so careless with our words and our attitudes. And Father, I'm, I'm the first to ask for forgiveness for being that way. And involved in so much church stuff, it can become second nature in a way that just cheapens 
talking with you. So, Lord, this morning we come into your presence, and as we leave this place, we want to be focused on you. We really do want to be able to say holy, 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 but not just mean separated unto you, but mean that we are completely yours. So this morning, wherever we're at, we ask that you would renew that in our hearts. If there's someone here who's never said yes to you, never asked you to join their life, be a part of their life, we pray in this moment they would do that. And for the rest of us who have already done it, we ask that we really would be saying holy, holy, holy. Would you please stand with us as we close in holy, holy, holy.